Well, a lot of parents uh, primarily focus on managing their child's behavior, and they think that's a big part of what parenting is about, which it's included, but oftentimes they do it to the extent that they miss the bigger picture of what God's ultimately calling them to do, and that is shape and direct a heart for a lifetime. And so, you know, the difference between traditional versus true Christian parenting in that context is that you're parenting your child's heart more than their head. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's guest is Andrew Linder, and he is a children's pastor in Peoria, Illinois. He's been a children's pastor since about 2001. He and his wife, Charity, have four biological children and two foster kids as well, uh, ranging in ages from 10 to 20. Uh, He's an expert on kids and parenting and a tremendous resource. And the reason I wanted to have him on is he's just written a book called Godly Parenting, in an ungodly world, how to raise not just good, but godly kids through heart-driven, grace-based parenting. And it's a phenomenal book, a tremendous resource, and I want to encourage you to stop and get a copy either at his blog, godlyparent.com, or on Amazon. I think it's a book well worth a read, especially if you're planning to start a family or if you have young children, because he kind of talks through a strategy of raising children from, from birth all the way through adulthood, that is spectacular, and I think it's a book you're definitely going to want to get. Uh, Andrew is, uh, is is a writer who, who blogs uh, weekly at godlyparent.org as well as some other places he'll talk about kind of at the end of our interview. Uh, so a tremendous resource to you. Sign up for his newsletter. All of that is free. His blog, his newsletter is free, and I think it'll be a help to you. So I hope you enjoy this conversation on parenting with my guest, Andrew Linder. Andrew, in the book, you talk about traditional parenting, as you just mentioned, versus true Christian parenting. And so you kind of bullet point some of these in the introduction. So I'm going to read these one at a time and have you kind of talk about uh, about these. Traditional Christian parenting obsesses over behavior. True Christian parenting focuses on the heart. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, a lot of parents uh, primarily focus on managing their child's behavior, and they think that's a big part of what parenting is about, which it's included, but oftentimes they do it to the extent that they miss the bigger picture of what God's ultimately calling them to do, and that is shape and direct a heart for a lifetime. And so, you know, the difference between traditional versus true Christian parenting in that context is that you're parenting your child's heart more than their head. Yeah. I was in a counseling training one time, and they talked about um, they call it behavior modification. That a lot of time parenting, a lot of times parenting, even for Christians, is just managing that behavior and, and modifying the behavior, which right. can raise a good kid, but not necessarily a godly kid. Which I know is another topic of your book. Traditional Christian parenting appeals to outward conformity. True Christian parenting addresses inward motives.
stop it. Right, right. The embarrassment of parenting sometimes. Um, the next, I'll, I'll read the next one, and you kind of already hit on it. So I'm going to read this one, and then I'm going to read the last one that you mentioned because I think uh, I want to have you talk on that one a little bit more. Traditional Christian parenting, number the third bullet point. Traditional Christian parenting is driven by rules. True Christian parenting is motivated by relationship. But then the last one here is traditional Christian parenting often produces good kids. True Christian parenting gets laser-focused on raising godly adults. Talk to me about that because I think it's really easy I, I mean, I, as a pastor, I hear people all the time saying, "Man, I just I hope my I hope I have good kids," um, but it's bigger than that. It is bigger than that, and the whole goal of this book is to help parents recognize and hopefully have an eye-opening epiphany of their own that um, if I want to raise godly kids over good kids, that's something that starts with me, not with them. And uh, many Christian parents, sadly, are content to raise good kids. And, you know, we see that oftentimes that Christian parents think, man, as long as my kids, you know, stay out of trouble and they don't uh, drink and chew and run with those that do, then, hey, I'll be happy as a parent. When in reality, has God just called us to raise good moral citizens of earth? And the answer is no. God has called us to raise uh, world changers for the kingdom and for eternity. And that requires something more than goodness. It requires godliness. And I believe that's why Paul addressed this when he said, hey, uh, godliness is profitable unto all things, both in this life and in the life to come. And that ought to be the driving goal for our kids is we're not just raising them to be successful in this life. We're raising them to make an impact for the next life. Well, and I think it's interesting that you say it's not good kids, but godly adults. I think with parenting, I, I struggle because I've got a, a 15, and they just all had birthdays, 15, 13, and 10-year-old uh, at home. And it's, it's, it's so easy to focus on right now sometimes that I'm thinking about why are they acting like this? Why are they doing and, – and I just want to change it. I just want them to be good. I want them to behave. I don't want, them, I don't want them to embarrass me. And I have to, I have to intentionally, as a as a pastor, as a Christian, I, I still even find myself having to be intentional in my thought process about I'm raising adults, these young people, to be adults someday that are Jesus followers, and not just trying to help them be good kids because I I can have them be wonderful human beings that grow up to have no heart for God. Yeah, so uh, it's such a, a subtle danger that I think the enemy uh, gets into our thinking about and our mindset when we come to think about parenting is to settle for goodness over godliness. But the ultimate uh, foundation of that is that it's us who have to live that godly lifestyle in order for our kids to be able to follow it. Just like Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow after Christ. And if we're if we're pursuing Christ as parents, then we're naturally leading our children to that destination as well. Um, and it's a beautiful picture of parenting when Paul says that to the believers, because that's what God's called us as parents to do and set the example, because more than your kids will ever become what you say, they will become who you are. And we see that in our own lives as adults. And right. we, we catch ourselves all the time uh, becoming our parents by yeah. default in some scary ways. I always joke with my parents. I'm like, I, I got some of my mom and some of my dad. I'm always like, why did I get the worst of both of you? Couldn't I gotten the best of both of you? <laughs> like, I have both of your bad qualities and all lumped into one. But no, that's so good. Now, all of this begins 
Um, it begins early on, but but I think sometimes somebody might listen to this and go, okay, I've already got a 13, 14, 15-year-old, and I, and I feel like the, the, the demon's legion have infested their bodies and they've become terrible people. And, and I know that can be terrifying, but there's hope at each stage of parenting. And you talk about uh, what you call the four seasons of parenting, which uh, just quickly are the planting season, which is newborn to five, roughly, as you have them laid out in here, the nurturing season, which is roughly five to 12, the refining season, about 12 to 18, and then the harvest season, uh, 18 and on. So ideally, if you don't have children yet or yours are really tiny, read the book now because each one of these can help set the stage for the other. So I, I'm assuming that if my kid is 13 and I just came to Christ, there's still some principles I can follow. But for the sake of we only have so much time, what I want to kind of do is talk through each season as if you're building one on top of the other. And maybe we'll get you back on another time to talk about just some specific parenting issues. Um, but talk us through, since this is the book and kind of how it's laid out, talk us through these four seasons. And let's start with the planting season from newborn to five. And tell me a little bit about what does that look like? And maybe even start me um, a little bit earlier. We're, we're married, we're planning a family. How do I kind of prep for that. I heard somebody say one time, people read instruction manuals for all kinds of stuff, but they have a kid and they don't, they don't do anything to prepare. So how do I prepare, first of all, to have a kid and then enter into that, that planting season zero to five? Well, the greatest place to start is with your relationship with God and your relationship being uh, right with your spouse to where you're seeking God together before you ever have kids. You're pursuing godliness yourselves uh, because the greatest foundation you can ever have for godly parenting is just godliness yourself. Um, and the way that this entire format is structured of these four seasons is so that someone could pick up this book and be able to uh, say, hey, this is a manual. This is a guide for the next 18 years. But like you said, anyone could pick it up at any time and still benefit no matter what season they're in by applying biblical principles. Because parenting is like farming. And a farmer is uh, the analogy used with these four seasons um, and how they're named. That just like a farmer uh, plants and he nurtures and he waters ultimately to result in the final crop of the harvest. Uh, that's what God's called us to do as, as parents is to tap into the laws of sowing and reaping that if we will be intentional in each season of parenting and we will build upon those seasons, we can uh, see the proven results of these things in our own lives and in our children's lives. And so God has given us the opportunity like a good farmer who you know wouldn't plant seed in the winter um, or wouldn't try harvesting a crop in the spring. It, he allows us to get positive re results by aligning ourselves with some certain principles that are universal uh, when it comes to sowing and reaping and then trusting God to do the work that only he can do. You know, we're trusting God even as a farmer for the, the, the soil and the seed and the, the water and the sunshine. And as parents, there's many intangible things that we can't control in our parenting that we're trusting God for, for the end result of the harvest. But there are many things we can do. And so the farming analogy helps us like a pyramid that the first uh, layer of the discipline season or the planting season is the foundational season that the rest are built upon. And if you can get that first season right, then the other seasons become easier. Um, kind of as a pyramid, you know, they, they become smaller and easier if you have the foundation to build upon. And so um, that first season is the planting season or the discipline years, zero to five. Uh, are we ready to jump into that? Yeah, let's jump in, man. All right. 
So in each season, there are needs of the child and responsibilities of the parent. And the greatest need for the child in the planting season or the discipline years is a need for control. Uh, control needs to be established. Uh, the greatest responsibility of a parent in this season is consistency. And of course, we know as parents how hard that can be on any level of any season, but especially during that first season of zero to five, consistency is so important to establish that control. So in this season, uh, a child needs boundaries that are clearly um, explained and consequences that are consistently enforced. Um, the Bible is very clear that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And so every child will go through this battle for control, even though some are gonna be more compliant than others. I don't think any child skips this. Uh, there's gonna be a battle for control. And we saw that with each of our children, um, some more intense than others, and yet, um, consistent loving discipline was the key in being able to enforce our expectations and discipline them in the season when discipline is most necessary. Because I believe if parents will discipline accordingly and biblically in those first five years, the reality is they'll have to do a whole lot less discipline in any of the remaining seasons um, of their parenting. Because those first five years have the ability and the potential to set a parent up for future seasons of success in their parenting. So what I always tell parents is, hey, be your child's parent now so you can be your child's uh, friend forever. And that starts in this early season. I think for so many as that I observe is they get they they have a child and it they don't they it's almost like this idea of discipline in today's culture is cruelty they and, and I'm not talking about physically cruel but like to let them be who they want to be let them I mean we live in a world where you can identify and not, this is not the topic of the conversation but but even in our parenting it's like let them express themselves let them be themselves if they if they repress these emotions and these feelings that's going to create problems down the road. So how do we combat that as a Christian where culture is telling you, hey, that's just that's them expressing it. Just let them let them scream it out or whatever, and, and then they'll calm down. Just give them a little time out or something. But the Bible is very clear about discipline and disciplining a child. So how do you as a as a pastor – you're a children's pastor, but that that's very much pastoring parents as well. How do you help parents that are having to combat modern culture that's basically telling them – be nice to your kids, be your kid's friend, let them express themselves and those kinds of things? Well, that's a great question. And it's a different understanding of who God says we are and who God says our children are, because the world's philosophy is that your children are primarily good. Uh, they're little angels and, you know, let them express themselves. Uh, the world's philosophy is a very permissive based parenting style. Whereas we talk about this in the book, the different styles of parenting, you know, authoritarian, authoritative and permissive. And of course, we want to find ourselves in that authoritative, which is where balanced and biblical parenting happens. But when we understand that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, we recognize God gave the, my children, parents, me to be able to direct them and make decisions for them at an age when they can't make wise decisions for themselves. You know, foolishness does not lead to wise choices. And so when we recognize that there is a season and specifically that first season of parenting zero to five, where we don't need to give our children a lot of options or choices on things that we already know the answer to. Because in the book, I explain, you know, if you tell your uh, toddler to put their coat on and they say, no, I don't want to put my coat on. Well, you say, well, it's cold outside. You really need to put your coat on. And you try to reason with your toddler. 
this is where the battle for control must be won, is a child from zero to five doesn't need a parent to reason with them or argue with them or try to make them understand. They just need to enforce that, no, I'm the parent. I'm telling you this is what you have to do. Uh, put your coat on, and if you don't obey, this is what's going to happen. And so with loving uh, firmness, a parent is able to uh, remove the foolishness from the child's heart because there will be times where discipline follows uh, when they don't obey. And the Bible says that foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And so it's, it's a different mindset from a Christian parent uh, versus a worldly uh, or unsaved parent. And that is that our children are not naturally good. Uh, they need to have that foolishness that is bound within their heart, unwound. Um, and I, I, I remember a time when my son was um, cleaning out the cars and I told him, hey, go uh, outside, clean out the cars, vacuum them out. And then when you're done, hang up the electrical cord back on the wall like it was supposed to be. And I like to keep them nice and tight and neat. Well, I went out there. He says, yeah, I got it done. I put the, the cord back on the wall. So I walk out into the garage and that cord looks like it's barfed all over the wall, like a scrambled up piece of yarn. And it took me the longest time to unwind that thing and get it back to looking nice to hang it up on the side wall of the garage. But it was a perfect reminder of the foolishness of a child's heart that they don't even know that their heart is foolish. But yet it takes patience and time to unwind all of that foolishness over these years as a parent. And that's what God's called us to do. You mentioned consistent and loving. Um, Consistency is hard because parenting is exhausting. But talk to me about the importance, and I'm going to hit loving in a second, but talk to me about the importance of that consistency. So any parent who's been a parent for <laughs> any amount of time knows that consistency is probably the hardest thing in parenting on any level of any season. And yet it's one of the most important things because uh, kids pick up on whether or not we're serious about our expectations and about the consequences. And the one way that they will know whether we're serious is consistency. And this is where a lot of parents in this first season miss out on winning the battle for control is because they don't have consistency and they're still trying to gain traction with it in future seasons, which makes it really hard because they're trying to play catch up for not having established control in that first season um, with their child. So I believe consistency is really huge, but I always tell parents that, hey, inconsistent consistency is better than no consistency at all. You're going to mess up. You're not going to do it perfect. No parent will. So don't beat yourself up when you aren't consistent. Just pick yourself back up, trust in God. The Bible says a, a righteous man falleth seven times and gets back up again. And as parents, you know, inconsistent consistency is better uh, than no consistency at all. It's a, it's a mindset of, hey, I'm going in this direction and it's going to lead to a result. Well, it's interesting that you say no parent will ever be perfect. Um, interestingly enough, I was until March 17th, 2008, <laughs> when my oldest was born. And then I was like, I had it all figured out. I had all the answers. I could have told anybody how to parent. Um, but then I figured out it was a yes. lot harder than I thought. Um, consistent and loving. Um, it's really – and this, I think this is partly, too, where – it, it differentiates between the um, behavior modification and shepherding a heart because when there's when there's love in that correction, the love is because I'm trying to shape their heart, 
when it's unloving, it's because I want a result now. Is that is that accurate? And, and maybe expound on on the idea of the loving aspect as well. Yes, I think you're right. Um, we do get the two um, out of order sometimes, but loving our child is is where you're addressing the heart. And the way that we discipline is just as important as the discipline itself, if in fact, probably more important, because uh, many of us may have been disciplined uh, without a balance of love, and that's what equals you know rebellion down the road for many kids is it's only rules based. It's all about the rules and the relationship factor is missing missing. And so the consistency and the love being balanced is um, providing kids the two things that every child needs. Every child needs clear boundaries. That's the consistency. And every child needs unconditional love. Um, and if you can have a balance of those two things, you will see greater success in both because um, you're not going to have children who are raised thinking, man, it's just all about behaving. If I don't behave, my parents love don't love me as much. And there have been many of us who've been raised in a culture of Christianity that's a version of that, that I've got to do this and that and make sure to check all the things off the list for God to accept me and love me. And God's love is unconditional. And our love for our kids needs to be unconditional. And so if we're patterning ourselves after the perfect parent, which is God himself, we're going to love our kids in a grace-filled way rather than in a heavy-handed, rules-based way that causes them to feel that our love for them is dependent or uh, the level of our love for them is dependent on their behavior, which it's not. So specifically on that note, when we're disciplining our children, it's very important. One of the th three things we always did with our kids, would we would talk to them about what happened. We would, uh, uh, we would pray with them uh, over it and say, hey, this wasn't, you didn't just hurt your brother or your sister, you hurt God. This was against God. And then we would just love on them. We would hug them and we would reassure them of our love. And those times of discipline ended with the peaceable fruit of righteousness, like the Bible says, when God disciplines us as his children, because they were not ended with a slammed door and, hey, you, you never, you don't come out of there until you, you know, change. Um, it was no, God's going to help you change. And until you do, I'm going to love you even when you hurt me or hurt others. So it's a beautiful picture of what God does for us. And I would encourage right. I would encourage parents too to to do a study of what biblical godly love even is because sometimes it's like I I love my kid too much to discipline them. I love my kid too much or I love them so much I'm going to give them all these rules and I think sometimes love can unintentionally put you in a ditch on one side or the other where I love them mm -hmm. so I let them do whatever or I love them so I restrict them but but love I I love the text in Scripture, and I use this all the time in my own heart as a pastor, truth and love. The Bible says, speaking the truth and love. And, and truth and love balance each other out sometimes. Like, the truthful thing may be that I have to do such and such. I, there has to be this discipline. But I do it in such a way that it's loving. It's not, the truth is you broke this rule and there's condemnation, nor is it, you know, there's rules or whatever. It, there's a balance, and I think you, you seem to be striking that, that well, it looks like, in the, in the context of the book. So the planting season zero to five, critical, foundational, um, consistency, uh, consistent, loving, discipline, gaining the control. You're using words, though, that are very unpopular, control, foolish in the heart. Um, and so I want to encourage parents, like the, these, 
these are biblical concepts. And so I, I was teaching people the other day, Andrew, that we have to view culture through the lens of Scripture, not view Scripture through the lens of culture. Mm-hmm. And so um, en- good. encourage us on this concept real quick as, as we're entering this, this new parent who's coming into parenting. Your book is great, but your book is, is based on biblical principles, right? So, like, talk to us about the importance of—you you talked about being godly, but as a parent, what does my spiritual life— need to look like for me to be a success as a as a parent well the godliness of our children depends upon the godliness of their parents uh to a certain extent if if we want our children to follow us in the pattern of uh, godly living we've got to be setting that example and uh, many times parents want the end result of godly children but they don't want to have to change anything in their own life <laughs> to be able to see that happen. And so we don't want to discipline ourselves in the area of godliness. Um, and so we worship our own idols and put other things before God in our own lives, but think that somehow our children are not going to see that and are going to uh, listen to our words over our actions. And so the greatest key to raising a godly child who becomes a godly adult is a godly parent. And I really believe that if parents would focus more on them than focusing on their kids and uh, their behavior, as they become more of what God wants them to be as a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, they're naturally, through the Holy Spirit of God in them, going to become a better parent. Um, and these are, you know, the books full of principles that are going to help give clarity and direction and guidance as to what that might look like. But the ultimate goal is that we are a Holy Spirit-filled parent who is walking in the Spirit ourselves to know how to respond rather than react and to know how to make decisions that are wise for our children when they don't have the wisdom to make those decisions for themselves, you know, at least in those early seasons. So and it I can think that's feel, key. It can it's feel so uncomfortable key. to say that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but, but, the, but what's interesting is, keep reading your Bible, the heart even of an adult, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So we too, this isn't just something that's unique to children. We are all deceived by the devil. We are all, we have a natural bent towards sin and self. And uh, as a parent, we have the, we, not just the responsibility, but the privilege of pointing our children towards Christ. And so gaining that control and helping them see that early on, I think is critical. And I love how you're laying that out in the book. Um, then they hit that roughly that five-year-old to 12-year-old phase, and we get into the nurturing season. So we've tried to plant, we've tried to pour into them that consistent and that, that consistency and that love, and then we enter into the nurturing season, five to 12. Lay that out for us. Tell us a little bit about, uh, give us a 30,000-foot view of what the nurturing season looks like. So the nurturing season, which is also known as the training years, um, is a season where the child's greatest need is understanding and the, child, the parent's greatest responsibility is training. Uh, in this season, you're helping your kids understand the why behind the what of your values, your beliefs, your rules, your expectations, ultimately with the goal of tapping into their heart. So now you're dealing with the motivation behind why they do what they do, uh, which the ultimate motivation is a love for Jesus. Because in that first season, Bible says, hey, correct your child and you'll deliver his soul from hell. So like you were saying, you're ultimately trying to establish control in that first season because you're pointing them to Jesus and to God's control over their life for the rest of it to submit to him as they learn to submit to 
to you. And so in this second season, you're giving them the training, the understanding behind, here's why we do this, uh, because of our love for Jesus and because of what he's done for us. So they're not just learning how to obey you, they're learning how to ultimately obey God. And um, this is so key for them to be able to understand why they do what they do, because in the first season, kids don't really need to know why they do what they do. They don't really need to know why they have to put their coat on. They don't really need to know why they have to eat certain foods. They just need to understand mom and dad said this is why. And, you know, mom and dad are given to you by God to be your parents. But in the second season, you take an intentional shift in your mind that now it's time to give them the why behind the what. They don't just need to be told what to do. They need to be told how to do it or shown how to do it. They need to be uh, not just demanded of with their behavior, they need to be directed in their behavior. Um, they need to not just know what's wrong, they need to be taught what's right. So as a parent, we're shifting in our mindset as we're beginning to train them to uh, help them not just address the bad fruit of the heart, which comes from foolishness, but the root of the heart issue, which is their heart is where we need to be focused on, not just their head or their knowledge of the rules. So this requires multiple things in this season that we can talk about, but that's kind of the overview of what this season is like. Well, dive into it with us a little bit then. I've got, I've got a 10-year-old, so I've got one in that nurturing season. Uh, how, how can I be an effective godly parent in that nurturing season as I'm trying to train them? So multiple things that can help you in this season um, are forward thinking parenting, where rather than just thinking of your child's uh, behavior in the moment, you're actually trying to train them, not just correct them um, in the way that they should go. Because the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. It doesn't say correct a child in the way he should go. Uh, but oftentimes we revert to that, yep. that we're, we go back to the rules as the answer. But children don't know a lot of things that we as adults naturally know as to what's wise or foolish or what's best or not. And so this requires us getting on their eye level and just explaining to them, hey, this is why this is important. And here's the uh, way this will play out in your life, not just now, but for the rest of your life, when you have good work ethic or when you're lazy or when you treat people this way or when you're willing to forgive and reconcile. Um, so correction focuses on where the child is but training focuses on the way that he should go. And so in this season, you're intentionally investing training, focusing more on the heart of the child for their long-term future than your momentary frustration uh, with the child because of their misbehavior. And not just are you forward thinking in your parenting through training over correction, you're establishing their worldview for life because this is a season where their worldview is being established, especially even before five years old, but especially between five and 13. Uh, statistically, a child will, their worldview will be uh, set in stone for most people by the age of 13, according to Barna Research, uh, meaning that by the time they turn 13, they will believe for the rest of their life what they believe at that's that moment so for most people, and they will not change. Yeah. So that's powerful for the 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 um, establishing of worldview in this season, where you're either capturing your child's heart uh, or losing it in this season, and oftentimes you'll never know which it is until the next season. And I want to encourage parents like. You, you, a quote in your book, you say, the reality is that if we're not talking to our kids about what is happening all around them, their worldview is still being shaped, just not by us. And I, 
it breaks my heart to think that parents are not taking time. Like, I don't know what the statistics are, but people aren't sitting at the dinner table like they used to. We're not hanging out as a family as we used to, just talking about things. I try. I don't always. I don't always get it right, but I try to take time to discuss um, issues with my kids and cultural issues and societal issues and some of those things, and point them to scriptural principles. And they'll ask me sometimes, "Hey, Dad, you know, I, I heard this today, or I saw this today, or, or something." And then, you know, is that is that good or is that bad? And it's like, well, what does the Bible say? And we try to take them back to that because the world is constantly shaping kids. And Andrew, I'm seeing more and more, and I know. There are going to be some people that hate on me for this, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't love that, but I'll live with it. Younger and younger and younger and younger, these kids are getting cell phones and social media, mm-hmm. and this is not about that. Yeah. But, but social media is the da- data shows social media is shaping culture. It's shaping the way these kids think, and if whether or not you give your kid a cell phone and social media, we can we can agree or disagree on that. That's not where I want to go with this conversation. But that 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 device is affecting your child's worldview, and if a parent isn't shaping their child's worldview, then that device is going to do it, and that device is not going to shape a worldview towards Christlikeness, almost never, unless they have very uniquely filtered social media, which I have yet to see. Yeah. They're going to get a, a social media world. They're going to get a worldview shaped by social media that is always going to be. Um, and anti-god at worst and yeah. and non-god at at best right i totally agree and the bible very clearly says that we can't be afford to be ignorant of satan's devices um, and one of the things that uh, he is using to shape the uh, mindset and worldviews of young people is totally uh, the digital world and we talk about this in the book calling it their fourth world which is often a, a world of their own that the parents never tap into or even know what they're experiencing and being influenced by and yet uh, the world knows how valuable this fourth world is and they know that that is the key to their ability to indoctrinate the next generation. And so if Christian parents aren't um, aware of that or actively involved in that world, that fourth world that their children are very involved in for the most part, uh, we are missing the key to success in uh, helping our children's worldview be shaped. And we're actually probably just fighting against it oftentimes without even knowing it because they will Uh, be shaped by what they're hearing, what they're seeing. And uh, we know that the enemy's trying to use that avenue as a strong pull on children. Um, I mean, you can see it just in, you know, current movies or current shows or, you know, as an adult, you know how hard it is to um, not see wrong things uh, and um, things that are contrary to biblical truth in your social feed. And so imagine how hard that is for kids to be able to navigate if they don't have parents who either set boundaries and say, hey, you you can't have it, or if you are going to have it, I'm going to walk you through it so that you're prepared to use it successfully for the rest of your life. Um, And that's what Solomon, I think, did in, you know, the book of Proverbs. He, He says to his son, he says, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. In other words, Solomon says, I I want you to give me your heart as my child, and here's how I'm going to make you want to give it to me. I'm going to set the example for you. And if parents aren't setting the example when it comes to digital use and what they're doing with what they watch, they're missing the boat. 
our kids are going to learn from us as much as we're holding them accountable, um, that we want them to see our example as one of the greatest things that they can follow in life and one of the things they actually want to follow because they see that we're real on Sunday, just like we're real on Monday through Saturday in between Sundays. Yeah. So I think being real with your kids is huge. Um, in this season, they've got to see that you're the real deal. And some of the ways for us that that looked like what being real was, was through um, questions, allowing our kids to ask any question, anytime about anything. We call it our open door questions policy. And man, that has opened up so many conversations, especially during those teenage years where and we talk about everything because they know that we can and we're not gonna judge them. We're not gonna come down hard on them. We're not gonna say, hey, where did you hear about that? Why are you bringing that up? What are you even listening to? No, it's, uh, man, yeah, let's talk about this. And it's so amazing the doors it opens when you allow questions and apologies. And that's the other thing that's huge, is man, as a parent, if you're gonna be real, you've gotta to learn to apologize to your kids and tell them when you mess up. I had to do it last night. Just say, man, I need God's grace in my life as much as you do. And I'm on journey to become more like Jesus. And that's what I'm helping you be. And if you think you're always right as a parent and you always have to prove to your kids you're right, you're going to push them away from you. And you're not you're going to miss their heart. So I'm going to I'm going to treat you for a moment like a counselor and and hopefully use a scenario that will help other people. Um, I've got a 15, 13 and 10 year old. And it is here's here's our season. I'm a I'm a pastor, which means I I'm busy during the day and often in the evenings as well. That's when a lot of ministry will will take place. Uh, try to protect that to to the best of my ability. Um, my wife is a school board member, so several times a month she has um, she has policy meetings. My daughter is uh, ninth grade. She's on the junior varsity softball team. My youngest is on a little travel uh, softball league. My son's playing baseball. Um, we are we are a hundred miles an hour, full steam ahead, and it's not even that we're we don't always have time to have dinner at the table. We don't even always have time to have dinner. Like it's literally you're running through grabbing something and going on to the next thing. And and it can even be a problem for us. But if you if 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 you were to try to say, okay, here's here's what your family needs to be thinking about. Here's how you need to be focusing. Here's some practical tips to help you be able to speak into your kids' lives. Here's here's what I would, how would you advise a family with the schedules we have? I mean, look, we're, we're dealing with mostly dual income homes, busy schedules, sports, which quite frankly, if I can just put a plug in here, stop worshiping sports, parents. I mean, it's just stop, yeah. let it be a tool to teach your children character and discipline and teamwork. Those are wonderful things, but I, Every parent I meet thinks their kid's going to be the next Michael Jordan or uh, the next Greg Maddox or something. I mean, they just think their kid's going to make it to the major leagues. And so, um, and, and if they do, great. I hope they come to our church and hope they tithe. Um, but the reality is I want them to use things like sports, and I want to use things like sports because I think it's good for my kids to have that teamwork, that character stuff. But help me as a, as a dad uh, – or uh, uh, my wife as a mom, how can we as parents in that busy schedule do some practical things to, to help shape our children's worldviews? So I think the key to answering that question is found in what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that uh, as parents, uh, God commanded the Israelite parents, he says, hey, take what's in your heart and the things that are in thine heart, you're going to 
teach those things or transfer those things to the hearts of your children. And then he goes on to explain how they're going to do that. He says, you're going to talk about these things while you walk by the way, while you uh, sit in your house, um, when you rise up and when you lay down. So in other words, he's saying godly parenting has to become a lifestyle. And one of the things that many Christian parents feel is when they look at a book like this or they look at, you know, these seasons, they're like, oh, no, I can't add that to my life. That's one more thing that I just don't have time to read that or I don't have time to you know, do all that. Well, the reality is you're already doing some type of parenting strategy. And if you realize that what you're doing is not working, then you recognize, hey, there's some things I can easily adjust to incorporate godly parenting into my already busy lifestyle. So what that might practically look like is very simply um, taking advantage of opportunities when you can to eat at the dinner table. Uh, I strongly encourage that. Do it a couple times a week. If you can't do it seven days a week, totally understandable, but maybe you can do it two days a week. And the family dinner table is one of the greatest uh, disciple-making tools in the Christian home if we'll utilize it. Um, taking driving time and taking advantage of driving time, you are, parents would realize how much time they spend in the car with their kids going to and from school and practice. And I mean, many parents will say, man, I don't have time to ever open the Bible with my kids or to have spiritual conversations. But if you were just to track how much time you spend in the car every week, uh, with the radio on or everybody doing their own thing on their own devices. The reality is some great conversations can happen if you take advantage my of something like one, driving time. My number one discipleship tool for my family is my truck. Because when I get in there and, awesome. and my kids are in there with me, they are a captive audience. And we sit there and we talk, and I, how was your day? What'd you learn? What? And when and you're just listening for little signals and triggers and, and worldview concepts. And I'm telling you, I... It is the and I love it because it's one of the greatest tools I have to talk to my kids about spiritual things. And we'll, I mean, we've talked about everything from sex, sexuality, abortion, um, politics, all kinds of stuff right there in my truck because they can't go anywhere. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) You have a captive audience. I do. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That is so encouraging because I think many parents forfeit those things because they just don't stop to think of how they can maximize upon what they're already doing. Um, I talk about this in the book as far as like sports, making sure that um, our coaches that are teaching our kids align with our values. You know, we found out one time that um, you know there was a kid on our uh, uh, football team of one of our sons who was only eight or nine at the time. He's like, dad, this kid's cussing all the time. And the coach doesn't say anything about it. So we started observing at the games and at the um, practices and come to find out the coach cussed all the time too. And the coach was actually the parent of the kid that was always, you know, cussing. So what we came to realize was, you know, it's important that we even are actively involved in who we're allowing to influence our children on multiple levels as far as leadership. Um, So one of the things that also is another practical tip we've used is what we call God sightings. And when we're driving or when we see uh, something in life every day, like a rainbow or, you know, that beautiful sun piercing through the clouds, 
clouds, or maybe we go to a wedding, or maybe a funeral, or we attend an event, or we see something on the news that catches our attention of another mass shooting. We're using all those events to point to God and to have a conversation with our kids about what does the Bible say about this? What does God think about this and our response to it as believers? How can that point us, you know, when we see those things in nature, how can that point us to worship God or to give him glory because of what we see all around us that points us to Jesus? And as parents, if we're looking for those opportunities, they're everywhere. We just have to be intentional. Yeah. Well, we need to buzz through, or we're going to be stuck in these all day, which is awesome, but people will start turning the podcast off. Uh, let's go into the next season, the coaching years. You call it the refining season, ages 12 to 18. So give us a, a bit of a high level and then jump right in to, to talking about the coaching season. Yeah, so these two seasons will go a lot quicker. Uh, the refining season is the coaching years, ages 12 to 18, and the primary need of the child is guidance. Uh, the primary responsibility of the parent is giving them practice. So you're a coach in this season where you're coaching from the sidelines to practically know how to put feet to their faith uh, for your children. Um, so it's not less intentional but very intentional in a different way as you're nudging your children out of the nest, so to speak, because in just a few years, they're going to be out of the house. They're going to need to be able to live on their own, making decisions uh, for themselves. So a good coach is someone who is not just training the players in the um, ins and outs of, the, of knowing how to play the game. A good coach is someone who's allowing them to actually get their sneakers put on and squeak on the floor or throw the ball or do the pitch or the hit. And if as parents, we don't use this season to actually allow our kids to fail, we don't prepare them to succeed. And so we've got to give them opportunities to practice the things that we've taught them all these years up to this point. And it's kind of like the mentality of teaching your kid how to ride a bike. You're holding the back of the seat and they're riding the bike. And at some point you let go and they don't always know you let go, but you're letting go intentionally because you know it's required for them to be able to fully succeed. And they're gonna fall, they're gonna scratch their knees up sometimes, they're gonna cry, and yet you're gonna be there to pick them back up and help them. And so you're intentionally letting go of the bike in this season to allow them to learn how to successfully navigate life on their own. So I think good coaching in this season requires continued training and intentional practice that you're giving them. I love it. Into the harvest season, the friendship years, uh, kids that are kind of 18 and on. Talk to us about what's going on in the harvest season. So the harvest season, um, 18 beyond, is uh, two things needed. For the child, it's independence. Uh, for the parent, it's support. So up to this point, you have parented your child, and now um, you are going to allow them to successfully live out the foundation you've given them for life. That's why Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the fourth season, the harvest season, is the when he is old season, which means that as parents, we've been given three seasons to intentionally guide our children in the way that they should go um, so that when they're old, they'll be able to go in it. Um, you know, your child in this season, they're an adult who needs space to make his or her own decisions. So I uh, encourage parents if they're in this harvest season to remember their primary role is to be a friend, not a parent. You had 18 years to be a parent. Um, and if you did it right, then you'll be able to be a friend. And in this season of 
their need for independence, you've got to give it to them. And if you try to continue to parent them after they leave the home, then you're going to lose your friendship. And that needs to be their primary focus is maintaining the relationship at all costs, even when they choose not to follow everything that you've taught them. They're their own person. You can pray. If they ask for advice, man, give it. And they may want it at times, which is great and encouraging. But the reality is protect your relationship at all costs in this season. It's a great book. Um, I'm I'm excited that you wrote it. I think it's going to have uh, a tremendous impact, and I'm I'm already thinking of uh, people in our church that I want to probably get uh, get some copies uh, at our church so people can get their hands on them. I want to eliminate barriers. You know, if they have to order it, it may not happen. So I'll probably have to get uh, get a few copies and get them here. <laughs> tell us, uh, tell us where I know you you write a couple different locations and a blog and maybe another resource you mentioned earlier. Uh, you've written the book. Tell us a little bit about where we can kind of continue our education. Where can we get the book and where else can we find some of the the content that you create about parenting? So Godly Parenting in an Ungodly World, the book is available on Amazon. It's also available at my blog, which is godlyparent.com. And you can find the book page, godlyparent.com forward slash book. Um, so easily accessible there. Um, if people want to receive weekly information on Godly Parenting, uh, we send out a weekly email and it's free. Uh, just a way for parents to be regularly encouraged and equipped uh, to be the parent their kids deserve. And so they can find that at godlyparent.com. Um, and of course, I write for multiple organizations. One of them is All Pro Dad, which is um, a Christian organization uh, for fathers. And so a lot of content on there by multiple uh, fathers. Uh, and I'm one of those. But if you're looking for ways to uh, just sharpen yourself as a parent, then those are some opportunities that you can tap into. And if, if pastors do specifically want uh, books for their people, I, I do offer a, a discount for you know bulk orders on the book um, that, that they can get. Fantastic. So you just have to reach out and ask. Um, I, I, I wasn't going to do this, but, but I've just sensed that I, it's a question that I need to ask you before we go, and I probably should have done this before I, I did the, the kind of the close there. One thing that God's brought to my mind, though, it, it's easy to talk about parenting in kind of a two-parent home. But when you're looking at maybe single parent, um, for for any reason, I know it can be divorce, it could be it could be death, it could be, you know. I, a lot of times people talk single parents and they think something really negative. But look, this happens in military homes. This happens a lot of times. A, a parent, a spouse passes away for some reason. Is there hope? I know the answer, but I want you to pontificate on it a little bit. Um, is there hope for a, a single parent home when they are? I can't even fathom having to work, having to raise my kids, having to try to get them to church, have good conversations with them. Can you just encourage single parents for a minute that this isn't maybe their choice, it isn't the path they would have chosen, but it's where they are. Can you can you provide maybe some counsel and some hope for a single parent? Sure. Uh, in the book, I address this uh, multiple times that if you are a single parent, uh, that does not mean by any means that uh, your parenting efforts are diminished or um, can be less effective. It does mean it's sometimes harder, uh, but the principles of parenting still work when we apply them. And one of the things I encourage, especially with uh, single parents, is you know find support from people around you. If you're a single mom uh, and you have boys, find some men in your church 
church who will rally around those boys and you know be mentors to them. And, um, it's 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 totally fine for a single parent to be able to take the principles of Scripture and apply them in their home, and just like a farmer, trust God to do what only he can do. And I would encourage any single parent to realize that if you're striving to honor God in your parenting, you can't ruin your kids. And I think many Christian parents think that, that, man, I'm going to ruin my kids if I don't get this right. You can't ruin your kids. You don't have that much power. Just like you don't have the power to save your kids. Yep. You don't have the power to ruin them if you're following after God and trying to honor him. Um, and so I'd say that to a single parent as well. Uh, you are going to see the results in time of doing things according to God's way, even though it's sometimes harder than it is for a double parent home. And I think we have to remember as parents, as, as I conclude this, as parents, we have to remember that um, kind of tagging on what, what you just said there, m my children are still individual human beings who are accountable to God. Like they still have to have right. an encounter with Jesus. They still have to place their faith in Christ. They still have to believe. And I think as parents, we're pointing them to Jesus, but it's the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Like at the end of the day, mm -hmm. Madison, Carter, and Kennedy have to make their own decisions for Christ. Uh, those are my three. And I, mm -hmm. while I love your kids, at some level, those are the three that matter the most to me in this world. And sometimes I get caught in the trap of, well, if I mess this up, then then they're going to end up whatever. But 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 God reaches out to them on an individual level, and they have an opportunity to, and and to, they've all made a profession of faith, um, which excites me, um, and I'm grateful for that. But they have a responsibility to follow Jesus themselves. And so parents, if you're listening to this, especially if maybe your kids are older and they, they're grown and gone, and you may think, man, I wish I'd have done things differently or wish I could have done them better. Keep praying for your kids um, because God can still get a hold of their heart. They're accountable to God for their own life and their own choices and their own actions. Um, and so if you're in that in that range where your kids are grown and gone and they're out of the house, maybe you're a grandparent and you're watching your kids and they're making mistakes and stuff. You keep praying for them, keep living that, that godly example. Even if you weren't a Christian when you were younger and you had kids and you are now, live for Jesus, let them see that example in your own life. Andrew, thank you a thousand times over for joining me for this. Um, this is a book that I am going to highly recommend that parents read. Um, get your hands on, on a copy of it. Uh, go to Amazon, go to his website, Godly Parent singular, right? Godlyparent.com uh, is the website. So check out godlyparent.com and get a copy of the book or on Amazon and, uh, and read it, underline it, highlight it, take some notes and make sure you do everything that you can to try to give your, your children the, the greatest opportunity for success. Mm -hmm.